I'm going to tell you a secret about my podcasting partner, Spice. I'm going to tell you a secret. You ready for it? She hates shopping. She hates, I mean, most people, you know, can, can either love shopping or can put up with shopping. She hates shopping. It is a duty that she must do to get along in the world. But for the most part, she lets, lets <laughs> me do the shopping. I mean, I even pick out her clothes most of the time. There are a couple of things that I won't shop for for her, and she knows what those are. Because I would lose way too many guy points, man points, just not going to buy some things. But other than that, I pretty much do 95% of the shopping. And she just does not like shopping. She doesn't like buying things. With one exception. We walk into a, a place. She she tags along with me because it's on the weekend. And we're, we walk into the place. And there it is. The seed rack. It's the seed rack. And right there, right there on the front of the, the rack, the expensive, the organic heirloom seeds. She's just like, it's like a crack addict (laughs) seeing that big, huge rock of crack. ah, It's hard to describe. And she's like, no, no, I can't. It's too early. I can't. But in her mind, she's screaming, all the seeds, <laughs> all the seeds ever. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, no. You like seeds. Seeds are possibility. Seeds are just bursting with possibility. Because I don't actually even love gardening. It's <laughs> it's okay and all. You like eating the stuff that comes I, out I, of the garden. I like eating garden food. I like eating stuff fresh out of the garden. I'm all about that. I'm kind of a chow hound. And if you are what you eat, I would be in a vegetative state, folks. Yeah, if you were what you eat, you'd be a giant <laughs> pet of broccoli. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. There are lots of other choices, but that one's high on my list. Yeah, yeah and, and cabbage and <laughs> carrots. And, lot. Yeah. The list is long, but long. So this time of year, it starts getting me. I start wanting to buy seeds just because of all the possibility that I see in them. But you, you walk over to the rack and you're just like, no, just, no, no. Here's a sad truth about seeds. They are extremely easy to buy. They don't cost very much for what you get. They're easy to carry. You can find enormous selections of them. They're not expensive. And after that, it gets way harder. (laughs) (laughs) You actually have to do something. Because the ground has to be prepared for them. And you have to have a right spot for them. And you have to have leave enough room for them so they're actually going to be able to grow effectively. And you've got to take care of them during the growing season. And then there's picking and preserving. And sometimes a year, it's just a whole lot of picking and preserving to be done. So, And then there's the flip side of it, too. We have in our community an outstanding nursery. I mean, a top-flight outstanding nursery that has 
amazing quality plants for very cheap. So not only do you have the seed thing going on, you have the plants like tomatoes ready to go in the ground when it's time to put them in the ground. And they're they're just great quality. Then they're good and they're cheap. And I have to go there anyway because to take care of any garden at all, I'm going to need a pickup load of uh, compost every year. And I'm going to need some edging material for the garden so I don't have to weed so much at the edges and can um, lay something on, on top of the fencing base to keep the rabbits from digging under the fencing, the evil little beasts. So I need to go out there anyway. <laughs> and then there's just all this possibility out there. So, yeah, I have to be very judicious about my seed buying, much more so than I'd like to. It's even something I find difficult to throw away when past its prime, because well, some percentage of them would still grow. So one caveat, though. We have a caveat here. You want a really, often, a really good, super ridiculously cheap prep. I'm going to give it to you right now. This one's worth the price of admission. Go to your big box store super center after planting season is over as they're getting ready to transition out of the garden section into something else. You can find, they just basically give seeds away. You can buy something that's normally a uh, dollar a pack. You can get 20 packs of them for a dollar, which ought to tell you the markup on these things. But you can get 20 packs for a dollar. And, yeah, that won't probably be as good next year as they were this year. But you can sure get a whole percentage of them so, or, uh, to grow. And that's a cheap, in case something bad happens over the winter prep, you can, have, you can buy a whole garden's worth of seeds for $5. Literally. Literally. Yeah. For $5. And I do. Because, you know, if something else does go bad before planting season... All right. And actually, I end up planting a lot of those anyway. Yeah. What I do is plant twice as many of them as I think I really want, and then I have to thin some. Yeah. Some, it's hard because you see the little plants coming up, and, and sooner or later, you know you're going to have to pinch somebody because you can't have all those plants. It just don't, don't, don't kill each other. I mean, they'll just they'll outcompete each other and they'll make a mess. So you're going to end up pinching some people. You're getting pinched. Yeah. It's hard to do. Because baby plants are possibility too. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I, I'm planning this year to do something I've never done before. I'm going to go ahead and and, and greenhouse a little bit of, on my own just to learn how to do it. I, it's too early now. We're still in we're the first part of February, and we're you know beginning of March. Yeah, beginning of March is really where we it's need our to target be. date. It's just we're not. It's too early. For most things, plants you, would, just be, would be too early. You the plant indoors cold. six weeks before your projected last frost date is about average Yeah, for many kinds of plants. We have an excellent place. It's an inside window. Facing south. So, facing south. It's just perfect. For, and it's in a, in a climate-controlled area. It's just absolutely perfect to put up one of those little greenhouse things. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to probably do tomatoes this year. Just for just to learn how to do it. Yeah, I've done a few of them before, just as a learning experience. It's hard to get too excited about doing that when the quality and prices at the uh, local greenhouse are so amazing. 
but I still do some just to learn the skill. And I keep some seeds back from my heirloom varieties from year to year just to learn the skill of those and to learn the tricks of, of doing that. Okay. Some people may not know what we're talking about when we say heirloom varieties. Okay. You go to a uh, place that sells seeds or young plants and you go to buy them. Most of the plants you're going to find there are hybrid varieties, which means they're made by crossing two different strains and they do not reproduce clean. You buy some of your classic big boy tomatoes. They're a great producing hybrid tomato. Huge, humongous, they, juicy. They, they do taste good. Lots of meat on them. Uh, fairly disease resistant. They've got a lot of great qualities for the garden. So you get this great plant full of big boy tomatoes or better boy or whatever they are. And you save some seeds back and you plant them the next year and you get the plants and you grow the plants up and they're not like the parents. Actually, they are like the parents. They're like one of the two parents or some mixture of the parental characteristics, but they're not like the one, they're like the grandparents, not the parents. So you don't know what you're getting. They're usually not nearly as good, not nearly as productive as the plant you pulled the tomato off of last year. And sometimes you get nothing. Yeah, the fertility is low. You'll get some things, but it's kind of a toss-up as to what you'll get. It's like apple seeds. Apple seeds are that way, too. You plant apple seeds, you'll get an apple tree, but heaven only knows what kind of apples it's going to be. Most well, of the apple trees you get are clones yeah, for that reason. They're, they're, so they're cloned and they're put on, they're put on, they're literally grafted, grafted onto rootstock, of a very hardy rootstock, usually like a crab apple or something like that, that have really hardy roots. So most people don't realize that you buy an apple tree from a nursery, it's like two or three different plants stapled together. Every red delicious apple tree on the planet is a clone of the red delicious apple tree, which somebody found it sheerly by luck in his orchard. There was a seed grown up. I didn't know if he planted the seed on purpose or what, but hey, the apples on this one look good. They don't look like nasty little crab apples. Let's try those. Hey, those are really tasty and this tree's going good. We'll make more. And so the the guy who found that first tree started making clones of them onto other rootstocks he had, and he started selling the uh, young trees. That's why you can't just buy seeds for apple trees. you got to buy young plants, young trees. Right, and that's also why a lot of these trees are patented. Now, the patents run out fairly quickly, but... You but know, they can patent them because they're genetically yes. unique. And, well, they're patented, so you can't just... This only matters if you get into, into tree grafting whether you, for resale. Uh, you cannot resale a patented plant because that's, I mean, that's, it's patent infringement. And, but unless you're doing that on a commercial level, it really doesn't matter for yeah. making it for your own yard. It's that's, technically that's illegal, but there's really no grafting police going out there and checking your backyard. And checking the genetics of your apple tree, yeah. And frankly, but, if you're doing it for your own purposes, having a wide variety is better anyway because they cross-pollinate better. It's not like the... The Idaho, Idaho potato <laughs> the police. The Idaho potato police. They have those guys. <laughs> we were out in Idaho one year on vacation, and they had a news story about Top, a couple of first, guys. First news story on the evening news for a major city in Idaho. A couple of guys go into the big house for the felony conviction of selling Montana potatoes as Idaho potatoes. Seriously. 
Yeah. Going away for years for selling counterfeit Idaho <laughs> <No> potatoes. <laughs> they weren't counterfeit potatoes. They were just not from Idaho. Yeah, they're serious about their potatoes out there in Idaho, folks. Don't mess with their potatoes. Don't you dare mess with their potatoes. <laughs> but anyway, that's... The ghost uh, of J.R. Simplot will haunt you. Hybrids are most of what you find in the vegetable stores, and most of the seeds you buy are hybrid seeds. They've crossed them from the parent plants. They're going to grow up to be the big boy or the better boy, or whatever variety it is you bought. And that, this is how you get like early spring tomatoes. You get... Uh, cherry tomatoes, you get, you know, this is this is how you get those. Yeah, a lot of the ones that are actually best to grow in your garden for a single year are hybrids. They have a lot of strengths. The other kind is the heirloom varieties. And the heirloom varieties are the varieties that do breed true. You uh, breed a Cherokee tomato, and it makes a fruit, and you save the seeds from the pr- fruit, and you plant it next year, and you get a Cherokee tomato plant out of it that makes Cherokee tomatoes. So the hybrid varieties are true breeding. So and how do you actually save tomato seeds? I know you do it, so. Yeah, I was doing it as an experiment, so I went the low-tech route to see how it would go. The low-tech route is uh, you pick one you're going to eat anyway. You suck the life, I mean the juice out of it. And you got the seeds in your mouth and you kind of suck that gel-like coating off of them. And then spit them out onto a paper towel. And let him air dry. He's, he's making a fun face for me, guys. It actually improves the fertility of tomato seeds to have the gel-like coating removed from them. And that's the simplest way to do it. I have so no comment on this. Pressing right along. <laughs> Pressing right along. You let them air dry until they're nice and dry. And then I, I sealed them up in a plastic baggie and labeled them with what they were. And stuck them in a dark place that was not terribly humid, but not bone dry either, until it was time to plant seeds the next spring. And I had, oh, probably 75% success with the seeds I put in. And then some of those were spindly. When I'm planting seeds of tomatoes or things like that that I often buy as plants, I start with several of them per little seed pot. And the first one that that gets up is almost always going to be the best plant overall. So everybody as soon else as gets pinched, yep, everybody else gets pulled early and it hurts my heart to do it, but I do it anyway. I know it's silly, but there it is. I do it anyway. Leave one per little plant pot. And then I continue to grow them up for a while. And of those, only the ones that really look good and hardy actually end up going in the garden. The ones that end up being so-so, it's way easy to grow the seedlings, and I can grow way more seedlings than I have room to put adult plants. So there's a lot of selection going on in the process. Yeah, sad part of life. So for a prepper, it's kind of a, which way do you go? For a single year of seeds, it would be a clear choice that you mostly go to hybrids. For somebody who wants a self-sustaining garden, it's a clear choice that you've got to do heirlooms. So, of course, what I do is split the difference. I plant some of my favorite hybrids every year. Super Sweet 100, uh, Cherry Tomatoes, I'm looking at you. Plant some of those guys every year. But I also, I'm sure to plant some hybrids every year, or uh, some heirlooms. The heirlooms are not as disease-resistant. They're not as productive. 
Um, I have not had the uh, production success with them, but I get some. And so I give some of my garden to them. So I've got a bunch of tomato seeds growing out there in the garden all summer long. And I can put them in storage for next year. And if by some miracle I wasn't tempted to buy a bunch of end of season sale seeds, <laughs> I would be stocked. But I am tempted, and I do because they're really cheap, and then I have more seeds than I can plant in the spring, so life's that way. It's it's a cheap hobby, guys. <laughs> Judge if you want, but there are worse habits. Anyway, so part of the deal is you're going to have to prepare your ground. You're going to have to have good space for them. Uh, you may need to water a whole lot depending on where you live. So you want to think ahead as to what you can actually sustain, where you're going to put it, what plants you want where. There's this thing about companion planting, which means that some plants work really well together, and other plants release chemicals that... Chem uh, plants are the originators of chemical warfare. Releasing herbicides from your roots that affect the roots of other species, but not you. That's a good old plant trick. <laughs> So you got to make sure you don't put plants that are going to <coughs> Sorry. poison each other. I got poisoned. I, and, my roots got poisoned there. <laughs> and preferably, you put in things that are actually going to mutually support each other. Like I put in um, snow peas to come up really early every spring. And they get the whole back, uh, the north row of the garden, where I've got a trellis for them to grow up. And then I plant other things like tomatoes in front of them, in front being closer to the south side. So when the tomatoes are a little bitty, tiny things yet, the snow peas are getting all the sun, and I'm picking all the snow peas and eating all the snow peas. And then by the time the snow peas start to give out, the taller plants in front of them are getting tall enough that they need the stuff. And you plant things like spinach underneath things that are going to grow up and get to provide shade when it's coming to be the time when the spinach is going to need some shade or it'll bolt on you. Overgrow. Go to seed. Not produce tasty spinach anymore is how a plant bolts. So yeah, you plan what you're going to put in before you go crazy about buying stuff. You think about what's going to work well. You think about what's going to work with the soil and the sun and the, and the light that you got. And you plan before you buy. It's a fairly seedy conversation. Yeah. And every year I try and do some experimental stuff. And some of my favorites. So I find out what works and what doesn't. Last year I had two experiments, which is the sweet potato experiment. Uh, three experiments. The turnip experiment. The what? Turnip. Yes, the turnips, yes. Oh, actually, no, they were beets, not turnips. Yes, but I remember them. I did the beet experiment and the sweet potato experiment and the potato box experiment were all last year's. Yeah, to various degrees of success or failure. Yeah. I learned I need to harvest sweet potatoes sooner. And that the tomato box was kind of a bit of a fiasco. Well, it didn't do nearly what I'd hoped, but I'm still eating potatoes out of it. Right, and we know... We got a pretty good know, reason I, what, yeah. what went wrong. It just needs needed more oofing. I hadn't done enough research ahead of time in that I picked my potato variety as well. Potato box, there's a whole post on it on 
3BY. The basic plan is you uh, build a frame and you plant some potatoes in it. And as the potatoes grow up, you add more, build the box higher and put more soil around them. The idea being that as you put more soil around them, the stems are stimulated to put out more roots that grow more potatoes. So if you do it well, and I've seen enough pictures to know that it works when you do it right, you get a four foot by four foot by four foot cube that's more than 50% potatoes. You get a whole bunch of potatoes from a very small space. Unless you happen to plant potato varieties that are called early production varieties. Because those guys don't put out new roots when you put dirt on their stems. All summer long, my potatoes in my box were looking great. They kept growing taller, and I'd add more compost, and then I'd add more straw. And they'd grow taller, more compost, more straw, grow taller. It looked great. And then at the end of the year, when the plant started to die back, I started pulling apart the box. And for the first three and a half feet, I got nothing. You were I like, had dirt. You were like, where, and where, 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 where are potatoes? Where are <laughs> yeah. potatoes? I compost and I got straw, and it, it broke, the straw broke down nicely. I've got some great soil, but there were no potatoes except in like the bottom eight inches of the box. And the bottom eight inches was chock full of potatoes because the plants did great, but I just chose varieties that don't sprout from the stem because they're early production varieties. I'm going to try it again this year. I'm going to move the box because you don't want potatoes growing in the same place year after year. They like to leave pathogens behind. The pathogens don't hit hard the first year, but they get worse year after year. Think great potato famine. Yeah, like that. So I'm definitely going to plant different varieties too, which helps with the disease problem. So I'm going to put the box somewhere else. I'm going to plant varieties that are late season varieties that actually work well in boxes and try it again. And all that beautiful soil I made last year goes on to the sickest part of my garden. So that was the potato experiment. The beet experiment was, I like beet greens, they were a success. But I left the beets too long to pull them and they were kind of woody and not optimal. So for roasted beets, I waited too long to, har to harvest. I should have thinned them out earlier and eaten more of them early season. Sweet potato? Sweet potato, I got some sweet potatoes out of them. The soil I put them in was a little clay for their taste. They didn't do great. So. And you got some really wild looking carrots, too. There's some yeah. bizarre looking carrots. <laughs> That's because I've got above ground boxes. My actual ground soil in those areas, I never really dug up. But I put, by now, I've got more than six inches of really, really good soil on top. So I planted my carrots, and they did great until they grew down and hit the hard part that was the original soil, where it got to be hard and clay. And then they were kind of like, hmm, I hit a barrier. I guess I'll just get really, really fat. And I got little barrels of carrots. <laughs> but they worked fine. Had a good carrot harvest, so that was a winner. All this talk about seeds, and we haven't even begun to talk about, and we're going to have to wrap it up here because we're almost there again. Yeah. But we haven't even begun to talk about the other kind of seeds that she's into. I noticed a 
bowl of seeds last night in the kitchen. Sprouting in, seeds. In the water. Yes. Sprouting. Uh, for sprouting seeds, uh, you do those to make fresh greens in the middle of winter in places where you can in no way grow fresh greens. I mean, you'll read all this cute stuff about how you can have window boxes and grow greens. You can't make a decent salad out of those guys. That's a lot of effort for one good salad, and you've eaten them up. But the sprouts work great. So I've got a little trays for sprouting seeds, and I buy special seeds meant for sprouting. If you buy those in the yuppie crystal waver stores, (laughs) they are ridiculously overpriced. But if you go to our local Mennonite store, they're not at all ridiculously overpriced, and you get a ginormous amount of food for what you pay. You take it's, seeds. It's, it's really not much work. You, you soak them overnight. You lay them in a single thin layer. On I use sprouting trays because they're little plastic trays made for the cheap. purpose and have a billion little bitty holes in them. They're so, cheap. yeah. You spray water over the surface of them morning and night. You drain the excess water so they're not sitting in a puddle of water, but they've been dampened. And then you sit them somewhere in the dark. You keep doing that, spraying them twice a day for uh, about a week, maybe 10 days, until you've got a total little lawn of sprouts. And they are just enormously nutritious fresh greens in the middle of winter. And I'll even eat them. And you, the good thing is you can put them in anything. You put them in a salad. You can put them actually in your dishes. And they add a lot of green, fresh, good food into your just regular dishes, and nobody really notices they're there. Very mineral-rich, because the seeds had all the minerals the plant was trying to supply its babies with, and we cruelly stole them and ate them. Aren't we horrible? (laughs) But what, actually, one of the things we do is, because, you know, we don't really, she uses a dehydrator in the summer, like for dehydrating apples as they're they're coming off, and dehydrated, you know, you occasionally get a really good deal on bananas, you chop them up, you dehydrate them, all kinds of... Yeah, tomato and zucchini chips are great, I eat those all in a while. She loves the zucchini chips, she makes makes these, turns these zucchini logs into chips, and then (laughs) spices them up and, and dehydrates them, and then we have jars full of the things. I don't really care for them, but she does. But anyway, the hydrator is not used much in the winter. So we it's a, we have, I forget which brand it is, but it's, it's the major brand. Everybody loves. It's like a nine tray. What, nine? Something like that. Lots of trays. And it's plastic, but it's black. And it's got a cover that goes over it. So we take, or she takes the uh, seating trays and puts them in the dehydrator. And they're and nice and out of the way. They're nice and, and out of the way. The, the stupid dark. thing is sitting there anyway. It's taking up space in our kitchen. Anyway, so, you know, actually, all it really mostly does in the winter is it holds the popcorn popper. On top of it. Because we got one of those little uh, movie theater type popcorn poppers with a little dippy bowl that turns. and I like those. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one day before you're ready to eat the sprouts, you leave them sitting out in the sun for just one day to green up. Now, I'll often come home for, for lunch. I'm only, I work a few blocks away from where I live. And she'll, if she remembers, she'll leave me a note to... Be kind to, uh, to my seeds. Uh, wash, water, the, water the sprouts. Yep. And uh, If he sees a note that says, be a friend to sprouts, he knows what that means. Yes, I, I, I become a sprout friend. <laughs> then I become a sprout enemy. Because we eat them. 
Uh, alfalfa's good. Alfalfa's really good. Uh, broccoli's alfalfa, pretty good. You wouldn't think alfalfa's good, but broccoli's really good, yeah. Uh, there's some of them that I didn't really care so much for. Yeah, me too. I don't like they're a lot little, of the bigger seeds. They're a little strong. Yeah, I don't like the beans. And the lentils the beans. And the, I don't like the beans. Yeah. The radish seeds are a little strong for my taste. Yeah, radishes, they're just, the flavor is a little strong for my taste. But I like the alfalfas a lot, and the broccoli's pretty good. Yeah. And they're, if when you buy them in the seeding package, you get a ton yeah. of seeds for very little money. You can buy sprouts at the grocery store often, but they've got three problems. One, they are really expensive. Like, Two, they're really? not nearly as good because sprouts don't stay fresh very well at all. Uh, if you stick them in the free fridge once you harvest them and you keep them damp they're good for most of a week but uh, most of the produce you get in the grocery store is older than a week so that's a problem the other is that they are su- a pri- surprisingly likely to carry foodborne diseases if you buy them in the store because many of them are fertilized with compost that you buy in the store and that's a good way eating raw things that have been washed with water that had compost touch it is a good way to get some e coli on stuff whereas if you're doing them yourself you're taking the dry seeds you yeah. just do your own water it's never been touched by anything else and it works out pretty well yeah I you, even, you, there's very little chance of getting e coli or any other of those foodborne diseases i often even let things like my broccoli i let some of it go to seed at the end of the year and then i collect the seed to sprout over the winter my production rate isn't as good as the stuff I buy commercially, but since it was free, just rinse the sprouts once you got them, and there you go. And really, other than once you once you got them set down, other than just putting, give them, wetting them occasionally, there's just not much to do. Yep. Like when they're getting ready to go, you you open them up and you put them in the sunshine for a day or so, and that night they go in the fridge. Life is good. The next day they go into you. So. A little bit about seeding. All right? Are we good? We're good. All right. We'll see you next time.